Another disappointing loss for the Kings and and what feels like a wasted opportunity. Coming into this game, I said this was the Kings' chance to prove are they, you know, a top-tier team or are they just in that still second tier of teams? And well, they're still in that second tier of teams. And it's not like one game is necessarily going to decide that. But, you know, coming into this tougher stretch of games now for the Kings, these, you know, three straight at home against good teams, it felt like the Kings could prove something. And, I mean, they still can. They still have two more games. But this game was kind of like, okay, the Kings are are still who we thought they were. And it's just, it's another blowout loss. You know, we've won five out of the last seven games. And both of those losses in those past seven games have been blowout losses. It feels like we've been blown out more times already this season than we did all of last season. I don't know if that's true. I would have to check the numbers, but it it feels like that. And it sucks having to watch like one and a half quarters of just meaningless, you know, kind of meaningless basketball in terms of the result of the game. And obviously with the Celtics team, like if they're making threes, it's incredibly hard to beat them. They get up a lot of threes, the most in the league. Kings get up the third most threes in the league. And the Celtics went 22 for 42 from three, but the Kings went 21 for 44. And that fourth quarter, they combined for 19 three-pointers made. The Kings with 11, the Celtics with eight. De'Aaron Fox had five threes, I think, in the in the first quarter. But it was just another case of the Kings allowing the Celtics to go on a run in that second quarter, and then the game just totally gets away, and the Kings cannot come back into it. And that has happened so many times this season. They just let things spiral. And there was a a sequence of maybe six possessions where it just felt like questionable call after questionable call was happening. And so we go into halftime down eight, Felt like we kind of played them even in the first half, but we're down eight. But it's like, okay, that's not too bad. Eight points, we, we can easily overcome that. And then the the start of the third quarter happened. They were getting a lot of foul calls, and we were getting some foul calls. Some of them were questionable calls. Some of them were actually calls. It doesn't were actually correct calls. It doesn't really matter. That's not the point. It just felt like it totally mentally defeated the Kings of getting called for that many fouls. And they could just never get back into it after that. And having the game slow down with that many foul calls is definitely going to be in the Celtics' favor, especially on the second night of a back-to-back for them. We want to just keep running. And uh, it just slowed the game down. And we are just totally defeated. Even when we did get to the foul line, we were missing free throws, which has been a problem all season long. And, you know, the Celtics were without Jason Tatum and Al Horford in this one. They're coming off a loss against the Warriors in overtime last night. So they're in a back-to-back. They're tired. They're without their best player, plus Al Horford. They got Chris Depps Porzingis back in this one. But, you know, Celtics showing the Kings how you win on the second night of a back-to-back, which the Kings have not been able to do this season. And it's not like not having Jason Tatum and Al Horford. Like, that's not that big of a deal for the Celtics when you look at their roster especially when they're knocking down threes like that. Coming into the game, when I saw Jason Tatum was out, I was like, honestly, that could be a bad thing for the Kings because he uh, 
he can stall out their offense at, at points, and I think the Kings are much better defending against a, a stagnant offense, as most teams are, but especially the Kings who just don't really, you know, defense is not this team's specialty. And so I feel like we would have a better chance if it was just Jason Tatum and Al Horford jacking up threes and missing. But uh, that was not the case. That's kind of what happened against the Warriors, and um, which is kind of why I'm saying that. But the Kings were absolutely on fire early in this game. Got up by like 12 points really early on, and then immediately it was just gone. That lead was just evaporated in an instant. And like I get that the Celtics were on fire from three, but it was also... There were a lot of open threes. The defense was absolutely horrible. And it just felt like mental lapse after mental lapse. The amount of times where the Celtics wouldn't even force any help. They weren't driving at all. And the Kings would just help way too far off a shooter. And it was just one pass without without anything happening on the possession. There was just five guys on the Celtics standing around and somehow they get an open shot. Like that just, that cannot happen. And it just felt like a massive wasted offensive performance for the Kings in that first quarter. When we're only up three at the end of the first quarter after scoring 41 points. And I feel like that's not the first time that that the Kings have had these major offensive, you know, breakouts. And then, they just let the other team just score right with them. And I'm, you know, obviously the Celtics, the Celtics are are a great team. And so if it was just one time of this happening, I'd just be like, oh yeah, the Celtics are just great. But it was happening against the Utah Jazz. You know, it's happening against lesser teams, which is why it's kind of a concern. It just feels like the Kings aren't able to lock in defensively when everything's going right offensively. And I don't really feel like it's right to call this team mentally weak, but the amount of times they've let things just spiral so quickly out of control, like I don't know what else to say. Porzingis just absolutely dominated this game for the Celtics on both ends of the court. He was hitting threes early on in this game, and then I'll get to the second half of what was happening with him because that was making me so mad. But it was really on the defensive end. He had six blocks. Six blocks. And that doesn't tell the the whole story. Because there were so many times where the Kings would get open in the paint. And then they would just, you know, look at the rim. Be like, oh, Porzingis is right there. And then just turn around and either dribble the other way or pass the ball out to the perimeter. I mean, the Kings were, were scared. He was mentally and physically dominating the Kings. And he would, there's no doubt he was definitely getting a bit of a, a superstar type whistle in there. He body checked Kings multiple times with no call. And uh, I don't understand at all how that, uh, the, the call the Kings challenged where Sabonis clear, I mean, Sabonis, Porzingis clearly hooks De'Aaron Fox and somehow Fox got called for the foul and that got upheld. You know, I've been critical of Mike Brown for his challenges that one I was definitely on board with because it was very clearly an offensive foul. Um, and uh, I don't know how they didn't overturn that. But again, an- another missed challenge from Mike Brown in the first half of a game. I mean, I think he, I again, I would have to look at the stats, but 
he must have the worst challenge call percentage. But again, I think it was, you know, Porzingis being allowed to be physical and then the Kings getting called for a couple ticky-tack fouls and not, you know, being able to be physical just totally mentally put the Kings out of this game. And they just have to be mentally stronger than that because you're not, you know, it's going to happen sometimes. Not every call is going to go your way. At the start of the second half, the Kings just kept switching Herder onto Porzingis and uh, Sabonis onto, is it Derek White? Whoever Herder was guarding. And it just made no sense because it was so unnecessary. The Celtics were not forcing that switch very well. Herder could have easily fought over that screen and stayed with Derek White. And it was three straight possessions of the Kings switching Herder onto Porzingis. And it didn't work the first time, didn't work the second time. And, oh, oh, wow, it didn't work the third time. He scored on all three of them. And by scored, he drew two fouls, one of them a flagrant on Sabonis stepping under him, another one he just hit over Herder. And then the same thing happened. Malik Monk came in the game, got switched onto him. He hits a jumper over him. And I don't know who to blame for that. I don't know if that's, I mean, it, it just seemed just like a really dumb game plan to not have Herder fight over there. But like, so was that the Kings game plan? Is this something that we blame the coaching staff for? Is this something we blame Herder for because he's not fighting over the screen? Or is, are we blaming Sabonis for not communicating or, or making the wrong decision and and telling him to switch? Like, I don't know whose fault it was, but that was infuriating to watch because it was just possession after possession of the same poor game plan of how to defend that and you know and I'm talking about the Kings mentally being out of it after those calls then they started turning the ball over which they didn't do at all in the first half they did a great job of taking care of the ball in the first half they started turning it over and Fox got called for a foul on Jalen Brown which definitely was not a foul but um, he picked up his third so he came out of the game and the offense just went to completely cold not that it wasn't it was already not playing well and uh, Fox was not aggressive in at the start of the third quarter and we kind of needed him to be at that point but he had already scored like 27 points or something like that 26 in the first half and it just it just spiraled from there one of the problems for the Kings in this game that we haven't seen all season but that appeared here was the rebounding the Kings allowed a lot of offensive rebounds and we're getting out rebounded by a lot especially in the first half the Celtics ended the game with 14 offensive rebounds and 50 in total and the Kings had 37 total rebounds so got out rebounded by 13. Sabonis was doing a good job of taking advantage of mismatches inside uh, and, and getting offensive rebounds when they would switch but on the other end we just could not defensive rebound and we're the best team in the league at defensive rebounding like we allowed the least amount of offensive rebounds in the league but uh you wouldn't know it by today and it felt like it was mostly happening when Sabonis was out of the game and there were it just it was Trey Lyles who had an uncharacteristically bad rebounding performance I thought normally it's the the long rebounds off the threes that kill the Kings. And I didn't really feel like that was the case. I just thought the Kings were just getting out muscled and out jumped inside. And Trey Lyles, like I said, was a part of that. 
and Sasha was a part of that. Two guys who all season long have been great rebounders. So it was just kind of surprising to see. The Kings did go small in this game off the bench. So Trey Lyles at the five and no JaVale McGee until the second half. And I think this is the first time we've really seen the Kings get punished on the boards for going small. It's pretty much worked all season. So, you know, I don't think you go away from it because it just didn't work one game. But uh, that was something of note. Sabonis kind of had a weird game because he started off, his finishing was good, and then it kind of kind of got worse. And then, like, he had some good finishes, some easy misses. When he did get to the free throw line, which was rare, he went one for four, which has been a problem for him throughout this season. We really need him to be better from the free throw line. And I, the, the Celtics were switching and putting Derek White a lot of times was the guy getting switched onto Sabonis. And the Kings didn't do a good job of taking advantage of it. And that falls on both the players who need to get him the ball and Sabonis himself. There were some moments where he could have punished the mismatches that he just didn't take advantage of. There was one moment where he just kind of dribbled into traffic when he didn't really need to. and But uh, there were also a lot of moments where the Kings just didn't get him the ball. And that's been something I've been talking about all season. We just cannot seem to get Sabonis the ball when he has a mismatch. Keon Ellis was the culprit a few times of not getting him the ball. Like I've said all season, the only guy that can seem to get him the ball when he has the mismatch in the post is Keegan Murray because the Celtics were giving us that switch all day long, and we just didn't take advantage of it. Fox was having an amazing game. He hit you know, six for eight from three, set a career high, or tied a career high in three-point makes in the first half alone, and then... Didn't really come out very aggressive in the third quarter, but I mean, he had 20, what, I think it was 26 points. Yeah, 26 points in the first half. So I'm not going to blame him for what was really a breakdown on the defensive side, not on the offensive side. It was not his fault there. He's allowed to not be aggressive for three minutes. The game should not fall apart if he's not aggressive for three minutes of the game. And it did feel like kind of a waste of a of a historic shooting performance in, in his career. He wasn't able to, you know, set his career high because the Kings were so far out of this one early on. Keegan was shooting well. I thought Barnes had a pretty solid offensive performance. Like there was a moment where the offense kind of stalled. We were without Fox or Monk on the floor. So I was like, oh, this isn't great. We don't have a ball handler out there, right? And Barnes took it upon himself, took it a mid-ranger that he splashed, then went to the rim on another one and set up uh, Sabonis from, for a nice floater. He knocked down both of his threes and got to the free throw line, missed two out of four of his free throws. Again, nobody performing well from the free throw line other than Malik Monk. But I think we definitely need to see more of that from Barnes. And I think we have been seeing more of that lately because it would be nice to actually be able to score when we don't have Monk or, or Fox out there and not just have it be Sabonis, create something or we're not going to score, you know? I mean, everyone was hitting threes. Herter hit a three. Lyles was hitting threes. 
Sasha hit a three out there. Keon knocked down four of seven for a three. I think maybe one of those was in garbage time. And it was a crazy one in garbage time. But the Celtics kept giving us the the switch between Keon and Sabonis. They would switch Porzingis onto Keon, and then Porzingis was just sagging off of Keon. Or I don't even know if that was a switch. Maybe that was the matchup they were going with, just hoping that they could sag off Keon and have Porzingis be roaming. But uh, Keon punished that, which was good of him to do, because you can't just let you know Porzingis roam around the entire court and just totally leave a guy. And so Keon's been been good as of late. And I don't really think it was any one player in particular that was poor defensively, especially not on the ball. A lot of times when the Kings defense is performing poorly, it's because they're just getting blown by on the ball at the point of attack. And I don't there were there were a few moments. Barnes got blown by, you know, a few times. Drew Holiday was able to get to the rim. But there weren't a lot of those moments. I think it really was just more of a team defensive collapse. And what I mean by that is what I said earlier. Sagging off of shooters totally unnecessarily. Rotating before the Celtics force us to rotate at all. Like there was one moment where Fox was on Jalen Brown. He's keeping him in front of him. And then, like, two guys, I think it's Sabonis and Herter, rotate over. And Jalen Brown is just, you know, sitting there in the post, at, like, the mid-post against Fox, and he just whips a pass across the court to Sam Hauser, who's wide open in the corner for three, without much happening and, and with no defender to even make that pass difficult. It was Sabonis in no man's land and Herter kind of being right on top of him. And then there were just other just completely missed rotations where guys would just go straight in for a dunk. Kevin Herter, the the one on Kevin Herter comes to mind where he just didn't rotate and it was just an easy dunk. There was also a moment where Jalen Brown kind of, he took a screen, Keegan fought over the screen and was staying with him but couldn't get it back in front of him and there just no, nobody rotated no or nobody helped. And so Jalen Brown was able to easily get to the rim and score. You know, the first quarter of this game was insane. And I hated it because it was the Kings hitting threes, but then allowing the Celtics to get wide open threes. But of course, it was it was still it was still fun, even though I hated it. It was obviously really fun to watch Fox just knocking down everything and getting three steals and just everyone knocking everything down. And I, you know, the fast pace benefited the Kings and the whole first half was a fast pace and that was good for the Kings and then it just totally slowed down in the second half which is what we couldn't have happen and it happened and again like I said at the start this doesn't change my view of the Kings at all this doesn't really worry me at all because you look at what the Celtics did against the Warriors and they just missed every shot and the Warriors were able to pull out a win easily the same thing could have happened here and even if the Kings played the exact same way the Celtics could have just missed shots the Kings could have totally won this game and we would be looking at it totally differently but that's not what happened and so instead we see the similar trend of the Kings getting blown out and 
not letting things spiral without being able to answer back and even make it close at all. There's no response run to keep the game even within 10 or even 15. It immediately just goes to 20, 25 points. And it just feels like the game is totally out of reach. And, you know, you, of course, you have the Kevin O'Connors who hate the Kings for some reason. I don't know why he hates the Kings and is super biased. But, you know, he comes out and makes a tweet about, um, you know, the Kings were lacking size and are not championship contenders because of that or whatever. Part of it's true. And then there's the part of it where it's like, yeah, you only mention us when we lose. But there is obviously truth to that. We know like we're not championship contenders. I don't think anyone said that. And we do need a, a bigger, another big wing defender. Like, of course, we know we need that, but that doesn't mean you should be getting blown out like this so regularly. But at the same time, we also have beat all of the top teams in the Western Conference and we haven't lost to them. So, yes, there is this trend of us getting blown out. But it's not like when we play good teams, that's when we get blown out. We've beaten the Timberwolves. We're 1-0 against the Timberwolves, who are top of the West. We're 2-0 against the Thunder, who are second in the West. We're 1-0 against the Nuggets. Uh, and then we're 0-2 against the Clippers, who are fourth in the West. And we've, uh, I think, didn't we beat the Mavericks? 1-0 against the Mavericks, who are sixth. And so that's kind of the weirdest part is we're getting blown out by teams that aren't necessarily like the the top tier teams until this game. And then even this game, they're missing their best player. And so this trend of it, of just getting blown out, I mean, it, it continues and it's just been such a weird season, but we're still 16 and 10. We're still fine. And I think getting blown out makes people really want to make a move. They're like, you know, I get it. It kind of tests your patience. But, uh, I mean, I'm still on on the side of being patient. And, of course, I, I want us to, to upgrade and, and get a wing. But I still don't think we need to make that big move yet to, like, elevate us to championship contender status. Because I think if you're going to make that move, it really has to be the right move. And you don't just panic and, and sell all your assets for a, a Pascal Siakam or even worse, a, a Zach Levine or something like that. Just because I know that's where people's heads go after blowout losses is, you know, straight to the trade machine. But we are back at it on Friday against the Suns and then Saturday against the Timberwolves. I'm excited. I don't, I, is that the right word? Excited? Excited to see the Kings play a back-to-back -back again. They're 0-3 in the second night of back-to-backs. So I would just, you know, I'm a excited intrigued i don't know which one scared all of them to to see us play another back-to-back -back. but i just like we're gonna win one eventually we're not we're not gonna lose every single one right so it just feels like it's coming and but but first we do play against phoenix and most of the times after the kings have been blown out they've been able to bounce back uh, except for the times when they got blown up by the Rockets and then played the Rockets again, or the time we played the Pelicans and then played the Pelicans again. But luckily for us, this is not one of those scenarios. We don't play Boston again in the next game. So 
if we're going by the trends, which the Kings seem to continue to go by the trends, we should bounce back against Phoenix. Phoenix has not looked good recently. They just lost to the Portland Trailblazers, which is a really bad loss. They also barely beat the Wizards, lost to the Knicks, lost to the Nets. And so they're 14 and 3 or and 14 and 13. They lost Bradley Beal to injury again. And the previous time we played them this season, it was in Phoenix. Kevin Durant was out. So that obviously changes things because Kevin Durant will most likely be playing in this game. Phoenix doesn't play another game until we play them. So you would think no time to get injured again. But I think the Kings really just need to make a concerted effort to attack the rim in this game. We saw the, obviously the three-pointers going down against Boston and Porzingis inside, really disrupting things and making it difficult for the Kings to score inside. But uh, the Suns don't have a Porzingis inside. They don't have a really long guy. They have Yusuf Nurkic, and so the Kings can take advantage of that. But obviously it's going to be a much tougher game because... You put Keegan Murray on, on who? On Kevin Durant? And then it's like, who's guarding Devin Booker? Or vice versa. Similar to a, a Paul George Kawhi or a Jason Tatum Jalen Brown, which we didn't have to face in this one. And that's the Kings' area of weakness is not having that second defensive wing. So that will definitely be an area I will watch. And also I'm I'm pissed off that the Kings got blown out. With Fox having such a great performance. And it was his birthday. That sucks. So happy birthday to Fox. And that is it for this episode of the Roll Report. I will be back on Friday to recap that game against the Phoenix Suns. Peace.